The reason I was I wore my IU mask today, okay, a couple of reasons. One, first of all, is that I'm a proud Hoosier. Okay. Any big Westerners? Okay, I got something. Sorry, so we're proud Hoosier, but also because uh, I was kind of prompted by when Pastor Nate began this series on the Book of Hebrews, he described the first number of verses as an introduction, unlike maybe a typical you know, letter from Paul, where, let, where Paul would begin with this nice greeting, affirming this group of people, but rather Nate described it as, as like. Like he's walking into a room and saying, "There's a fire in the next room." There was a there's there's not necessarily a panic, but there's an urgency, a sense of how important this is. And so, I have my own fire story, and it's from my days at Indiana University. So when I was a senior, um, so I I lived in a fraternity house. So to kind of give the background behind this fire story, I kind of I got to kind of show you, kind of demonstrate what the house was like. It's a the big fraternity house, there was probably about 105 or 110 guys living in it. And there was the old wing and the new wing. And the old wing and the new wing, both of them, there was two elements to that. And there was your typical room where you had your books, your desks, your clothes, and things like that. Um, those were kind of on the lower floors. But you didn't sleep there. You slept in one of two dorms. And so in the old wing, there was this big, large room up on top. They had about 70 bunk beds. Okay, and the distinction about this one as opposed to the other one is that they left the windows open all year round. This was, the, was for the cold dorm craziness, okay? All right? And so, yes, it'd be quite cold at different times. You know, if you had a water bottle, you might end up in the morning with a little bit of layer of ice on the top, okay? So the other one on the, on the new wing, okay, had about 40 beds in it, and that was the warm dorm wimps. That's where I was, okay? So just out of curiosity, how many would be cold dorm crazies? One more wins. Yeah, so okay. Okay, so it was my senior year. It was sometime in January, so the semester was quite new. Maybe one or two weeks into it. I'm thinking it's probably, if that's our number, just after 6 a.m., which means that some guys are up and most guys are still sleeping in bed. And planning on it for the next three hours. You know what I mean? And so uh, what woke me and all the rest of us was two things. One was the fire alarms just suddenly started blaring. And a guy ran in and opened the door and yelled, there's a fire. Get out. Get up and get out. And so I'm kind of more back in the corner. So I'm one of the last guys to be able to get out of the room. And as I kind of turn and look towards the open door, I can see down the hallway... There's not only the fire alarm is flashing in red, but there's smoke down the hall. And this guy is yelling, get out. And, and he's pointing right to the stairs, which is right outside the doorway. And guys are coming out of their rooms, you know, already dressed, and they're running down. Guys are coming out of the bathroom, running right down there. And of course, you do what you're supposed to do. You just go, Rah! and you run down the stairs. We all get out of the house. So somebody has a bright idea, which makes total sense. We need to account for everybody, make sure everybody got out. So they said, let's go meet in the front of the house and find out if all your roommates are there. And like, like other guys, there's, you have a couple of roommates, you check, make sure they're all there. Everyone's there, so there's a sense of relief. Well, the adrenaline starts you know, lowering a little bit, and you realize it's January, and I've run out of this house, 
with what I've been sleeping in. And like, I am cold, okay? And fortunately, we had this sorority that was next to us. And they just started bringing blankets out. This was great. And there's this young, beautiful nurses that comes up to me and wraps this blanket around me. Her name was Sherry. I'm just kidding. That's not how I met my wife. I don't remember who that was. I'm paying attention to the fire, right? I really pay attention to that. And so they get the fire out, and but there's still tons of smoke. I come to discover that the room where the fire started was the room right next to my room. And so the fire uh, people go through there, uh, and they are opening windows to, to relieve all the smoke that's in there. So I watched as they opened my windows and watched smoke just absolutely pour out of my room. My room, where that's where my books are. That's where all my clothes are. And my eight-track tapes are. <laughs> so I'm going, okay, so now what am I going to do? I'm going to go to class with this blanket around me. And then I realized, oh yeah, I'm a psychology major. I don't have to go to class. I'm a journalism major, you know, okay. It's good. So I thought, okay, so let's take it back. Let's take it back and go back, what if? Let's go back to where I am kind of standing, kind of waiting for everybody to get out of the room. And I decide, rather than go down the stairs, I decide to run as fast as I can past the guy who's been warning everybody and showing them the way out. And I went right into the fire, the smoke. Because I want to go out the front door. I never would have escaped. I would have been overcome by smoke. I would have made it out alive. Could you imagine the conversation that took place with my parents had that happened? Mr. and Mrs. Pugh and William Sorry to let you know there was a fire in the fraternity house today. And your son didn't make out alive. Well, they said, well, what happened? Well, unfortunately, everybody else went out a safe way. But he decided to run past that safe escape and right into the fire. What was he thinking? Why would he do that when the way of escape was right there in front of him? What a tragedy that would have been. Here's a greater tragedy. Let me express the greater tragedy that's found in this passage. In verse 3 of chapter 2, it says this. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. This is a rhetorical question. It, it is, the answer is there is no escape. It is impossible. You cannot unless you embrace and hold fast to this great salvation that God provides through the Son Jesus. And how tragic it is that hundreds and thousands of people yesterday, today, and tomorrow would not be able to escape spiritual death and be separated from God forever. When we consider what this passage is about, 
verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. This is how I want to summarize it. So if you look at your notes, there's this main idea. This main idea is this. We need to hold on to the testimony of Jesus or suffer eternal retribution. There's really no other way to sugarcoat it, is it? That's the reality that sometimes we got to just stop and remember. That's what's at stake. And that's what Scripture teaches. So with that in mind, would you please just join me in prayer? Gracious Father, as we're presented again, just this reality, that there is our own great sin, but beyond that, God, your son Jesus, there's even greater salvation that you have presented to us. Help us to be a people, Father, to take us seriously. And God, I would ask that if there's anybody in this room today, or somebody might be listening online, even today or down the road, and Father, if you would stir in their heart to truly ask of you, Father, have they embraced your salvation? they believing in you are trying to run their own way into what is certain as your scripture declares certain eternal retribution. And the seriousness God to this is so God, would you just kind of remind us what's real? It gives us an eternal perspective to think about these things today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This uh, kind of mini-series within the book of Hebrews, we're calling it Higher Thinking. And part of that is consider the impact of Jesus. We're getting this from chapter 3, verse 1, which says this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. It's a call to remember who Jesus is, to reflect on who Jesus is, to ponder, to think, to reflect on these things that are being presented in the book of Hebrews. This is who Jesus is. And do we get it? Do we embrace it? Are we holding on to it? So just as a way of review, uh, last couple of weeks, Pastor Nate talked about the supremacy of Jesus in both um, in the two sections of chapter 1. And we come to chapter 2, and there's this word, therefore. And so when you see something like therefore, you've got to go, okay, well, why is it there? It's got to be because it's something uh, that was being taught earlier. So there's a conclusion or an, or an application to this coming out of what's being taught in chapter 1. And so the reality is that when you look at the book of Hebrews, what we see over and over again is that the writer says, you Hebrews, you Jewish people, us, we, we have this familiarity from our Old Testament scriptures, from our, our scriptures. And he's going to take a lot of these things that they're very familiar with, like angels, or Moses, or the high priest, or this guy named Melchizedek. And they'd be very familiar with these names and these concepts, these thoughts. And he's saying, I'm going to take those things that you're familiar with, and the message which you've now heard and you've said you've embraced, I'm going to tell you, explain to you how that relates to these things that you, that you know very well, and who Jesus is and his message of salvation. And so we get to chapter 2, essentially what this is taking place is that he's going to set up a parallel comparison between angels and Jesus. Looking at, and therefore, because of what he talked about in chapter 1, that Jesus is superior to angels. So let's read 2, 1 through 4. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. 
For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It, the salvation, was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Again, coming back to that, chapter 2 begins with this idea of therefore. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this kind of this parallel argument that, that the author of Hebrews is presenting. It's a, from a lesser two to a greater two, to help us grab a hold of the importance of this message, the testimony of Jesus. So let's just remember, let's go back to verse 14 of chapter 1. The writer says this, Are they, they meaning angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? See, these angelic beings, we don't often use this term ministering spirits. Chapter 1, he uses over and over again this word angel. So if you look back at verse 7, for instance, there is of the angels, he says, and then he quotes Psalm 104.4. What is interesting about this, when he says this idea of of the angels, the actual Greek word means messenger. That's the literal translation of angel. It's messenger. And so when he quotes Psalm 104.4, he makes his angels. You look back at the Hebrew, and guess what that means, literally? Messenger. And so the reality is that when you think then about, about ministering spirits, in reality, some of the things that are most important God called them to do is to bring a message. They were messengers. And that's why he comes back and looks at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, and he reminds us, if they were so important, and they had a message that we need to, need to pay attention to, look at verse 4 of chapter 1. Describing Jesus, the author says this, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much is more excellent than theirs. So, so the reality is, if God's going to send an angel to bring a message, how much more should we pay attention to the message that Jesus has brought? And so he reminds us that these messengers are sent by God. And so we need to pay attention to them, right? See, I think Nate mentioned this sometime in the last couple of weeks, this idea that it was understood that oftentimes this message given to prophets was presented by and delivered by angels. As a matter of fact, if you think about this, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is going to give a speech. He did, he did such a great speech, he got him killed. Okay? But as he's proclaiming this message of salvation, he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, this message that was given to Moses was brought by angels. And so if you're a Jewish person, a Hebrew person, you're thinking, yeah, I'm very familiar with this idea, that they would bring a message, a message of hope, a message of good news. Remember the word message? Okay? If you take just a two-letter prefix in Hebrew, sorry, in Greek to that, the one that means good, you have a good message. Transliterated, it's like evangelism or evangelical is people who believe in a good news, a good message. 
Luke chapter 2. You guys can help finish this for me. There's shepherds out in the field watching their sheep. Angel says to them, Behold, I bring you good news. So very familiar with that. If they're going to bring good news, we're supposed to pay attention to how much more Jesus' message, because even superior to that we need to pay closer attention. And that's the message of chapter 2, verses 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Jump to verse 2. And this is the reliability of the angels. Because he says, and he argues this, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. Again, to a Jewish audience. We don't necessarily think about this, but to a Jewish audience, what is the message particularly that the angels brought and gave to Moses that then he delivered to, his, to the Jewish people? The law of Moses, right? If the law... And in the law, we see fundamentally this promise made by God. I will be your people. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I will bring you into a promised land and you will find rest. If you hold fast to my law. If you remember and do not serve other gods. Well, think about this for a moment. Because he says, otherwise, you'll be destroyed. Otherwise, you'll be conquered. Otherwise, you will serve other nations and kings. And you'll be removed from the land. Receiving people of this, they're probably not in Israel. They're not in the promised land. They are, in fact, living examples of God's promise given to Moses Tested by and sent by angels. It proved to be reliable. They understand it to be that case. And that is why he said, okay, so if their message proved to be reliable, how much more is Jesus' message? So let's jump down to the second part of verse 3 from the end of verse 4. Because about this message, this writer says, remember, it was declared at first by the Lord. Jesus gave this message of salvation. And it was attested to us by those who heard We've heard it, you've heard it, because it came through Jesus, through his witnesses. And it came to us. But again, we are privileged by the fact that we have the New Testament. At the time, at best, the reader of Hebrews may have seen maybe a portion or a collection of some of Paul's writings and letters. They were begun to be collected and distributed and copied, and maybe a couple of the Gospels, but probably many people have never had their own set of New Testament scriptures or anything like that. And so they're hearing the message through the witnesses that, that God had provided in those first people, and the next round as they shared that. But if you remember what he, Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1, he said, and you shall, excuse me, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Zero. That's what he's referring to here. Because it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. When we read the book of Acts, we see over and over again, God testifying to his message through so many signs and wonders. If you look at the map behind me, to this day, 
in places where their strongholds of Satan, where the message of Jesus has hardly penetrated. We hear stories of the same thing. That the message of Jesus going out by his witnesses is attested to by miracles. And so these people, these Hebrew readers, they would have recognized and remembered the stories they've been hearing. <laughs> Which then brings us back to this final point I want to make in this parallel declaration that the writer of Hebrews is making. And he says it this way. He's talking about the, the message declared by the angels proved reliable. He says, for every transgression and disobedience receive a just retribution. It's sometimes hard for us to take, but that's the reality. That's where we got to kind of go. Recognize this message that's given. It proved to be true that there was a just retribution for transgression and disobedience. That word retribution means what we earn. Okay, so I thought about maybe a little bit of an example like that. Let me ask this question. Does this seem like a just return for our wages or for their wages? I looked up and um, researched a little bit here, and I found out that the median age, the median um, annual salary for a school teacher in Loveland is $57,000. Okay? Some of you will be joining me and watching some football today, so I thought, what's the median annual salary for an offensive lineman in the NFL? $1.2 million. It's kind of like a fair, right there, you know, school teacher, offensive lineman, right? Okay. I get it. It's, it's, uh, it's supply and demand, okay? I mean, how many guys, 300-pound guys, can, can keep 255-pound defensive tackles from destroying your $37 million quarterback, right? Okay. So while we may wonder if that's actually just retribution, just payment, we don't have to wonder about God's economy. God is a fair, he's a holy, he's a just, he's a righteous God. So what he says is appropriate, we can trust is appropriate. And he says, for the wages of sin is death. That is why, verse 3 says this, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? there's a cost that each must pay if we run our own way and escape trying to escape and neglecting God's salvation so I thought what would have been something that maybe these original readers would have been familiar with don't know this for a fact but I thought let's talk about something that we might be familiar with so if you turn back with me to John chapter 3 most of us probably have some degree of familiarity with John 3.16. And maybe you've memorized it. But I just wonder how many of us also memorize verse 17 and 18 in the next two verses. Let's read those as well. John 3.16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish would escape this retribution, but have eternal life, the great salvation that God provides to Jesus. 
Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why Jesus came. Rather, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then here it is the reality that some of us want to avoid. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That's another way of describing neglecting so great salvation, dismissing, ignoring, saying I can wait till later. In this room, there's got to be people, there's got to be somebody, probably number people, you're at the point where you I'll wait someday later. I'll consider it later. I showed up because I was dragged here. I don't know if I actually want to be here. But you're here for a reason on this day to hear this message. And I appeal to you. Do not neglect this great salvation. For as great as your sin is, it is great. Minus two. Greater still is God's salvation. I'm going to give you an opportunity for those who want to respond to make sure and make certain that you've held fast to this great salvation moment. But I thought I would jump down to two things I'm going to highlight. I call them warning signs. Because there's something really remarkable I haven't mentioned yet. In chapter 2, verse 1, it also appears a little later. In verse 3, notice the pronoun that is used. It is not, therefore, you. It's not, therefore, they. It's therefore, what is it? We. We, we must pay closer attention. How shall we escape if we neglect? This passage doesn't speak directly to this question that often comes up in this passage as well as others in, in Hebrews. Are you saying there, and does this teach that someone can, can have salvation and then lose it? That's not the question here. And when that comes up later in the book of Hebrews, I'm going to make sure Nate preaches that, so that means. But what it says is this. It says we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift. I can remember a meeting that we were in a number of years ago. There's a bunch of pastors together, and believe the same things we all believe in, hold fast to the teaching of God. And this one person says something like to the fact that they're wrestling through this question in their mind on the reality of hell. In that room, there was kind of like this collective like, what? Where did that come from? And it became a little more clear that this person had spent a lot of time reading People talk about the Bible, 
strengthen reading the Bible. I'm going to make this appeal. Did you commit to making sure every single day God's voice is the loudest voice that speaks in your life? I don't know what your morning is like. I don't know how soon, early in the morning, you grab your phone or you engage with the world. Whether it's media, news feed, emails, texts, whatever. Start with the Word of God. Start with the Word of God, lest you drift, so that you interpret everything else that comes into your, your mind and heart that day through the Word of God, lest you drift. And then this is the last point I'm going to make, coming back to where we are in chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect? See, we cannot pay no attention. We cannot ignore. We cannot dismiss. We can't say, someday down the road. There's a promise that Jesus makes that appears twice in the Gospels. But in Luke chapter 12, 2 and 3, that's one of those times. It says, everything that is hidden will be revealed. You and I know there's things we're ashamed of. Thoughts, words, actions. And we're reminded in Scripture there's a payment for that, for the wage of sin is death. How do we deal with that later? Do not neglect such a great salvation. The fire may be coming, or might be years off. But it's going to arrive someday in your life. And you will pass physically from this life to the next. The question is, where will you end up spiritually? Those of us who have embraced such a great salvation, we have an opportunity to celebrate it once again and remember and hold fast and to pay close attention to this message of salvation. This is a reminder, because we're going to take this little cracker there and remind us of Christ's body that was given for us. And we will peel back that and drink the cup, a reminder of Christ's blood that was shed for us. So we're going to have the band come up in a moment as I, as I pray. And in the timing that you have before the Lord, take whatever you want to. But I'm also going to invite some people who I've already talked to to come up and be available on both sides of the platform. You may be someone saying, I, I need to make sure. I want to pray with somebody. I want to process with somebody. I want to make sure that I've not drifted. I want to make sure that I've not neglected. That I am trusting in Christ today. That it's something that is certain today. I also know that going through the mind of many of us in this room are family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers who right now have and are neglecting such a great salvation. And you are burdened by that. If you want someone to pray with you for that person, feel free to come up and join them as well.